0: Thank mm-hmm. you. This week's show, an appeal for support for Afghanistan's people from Antonio Guterres, who also warns that we're at a tipping point for climate action. We also hear from the fifth and final Commission of Inquiry report on Burundi. It's still talking of crimes against humanity. And we'll travel to Yemen for an update on the impact of the conflict on the country's most vulnerable people. All this and more in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva. First, the news with Katie Dartford. <laughs>
1: This is the news in brief from the United Nations. Humanitarian operations have expanded across Afghanistan in response to mounting humanitarian needs fueled by drought and conflict, UN relief teams have said. The UN migration agency IOM said on Thursday that 500 families affected by drought, flash floods and conflict in Kuna and Nangaha provinces have now received non-food and emergency items. More than 5,000 people in Kabul, Ghazni and other districts have also received shelter and core relief items in recent weeks, the agency said in a statement. The development follows a UN flash appeal for Afghanistan on Monday in Geneva, where UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres urged the international community to offer a lifeline to millions of vulnerable Afghans.
0: The international community must find ways to make cash available to allow the Afghan economy to breathe. A total collapse would have devastated consequences to the people and risk to destabilize the neighboring countries with a massive outflow.
1: Humankind has reached a tipping point on the need for climate action, UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres said on Thursday, as new data showed that the world is not on track to slow down global warming. Disruption to our climate and our planet is already worse than we thought, and it's moving at a faster pace than predicted, Mr Guterres said at the launch of a report by UN and global scientific partner organisations called United in Science. We now have five times the number of recorded weather disasters than in 1970, and they are seven times more costly, the UN chief added, in an appeal for urgent action to address human-induced climate change. In Geneva, head of the World Meteorological Organization, Pateri Tallis underscored the dangers of record carbon dioxide emissions and rising seawater.
2: That we are not yet on track towards the Paris 1.5 to 2 degrees limits. The political interest to mitigate climate change is clearly growing, but to be successful in this effort we have to start acting now. We cannot wait for decades, we have to start acting during this
3: decade.
1: Professor Talas said that despite temporary improvements in air quality during the COVID lockdowns last year, greenhouse gas emissions have returned to 2019 levels. The people of Burundi continue to endure serious rights violations, including possible crimes against humanity, UN-appointed independent investigator said on Thursday. This is despite a pledge by President Ivaristi Nidashimie to address the situation after years of violent repression and crimes, according to the UN Commission of Inquiry on Burundi. It lists reports of arbitrary detention and execution, torture and intimidation, the majority committed by individuals in groups with links to the ruling party. The principal targets have been members of the opposition, the National Congress for Liberty, former members of the Tutsi-dominated Burundian armed forces, returnees and some of their family members. Here's Commissioner Francoise Hampson speaking to journalists in Geneva. In our previous reports, we found that there was an
0: organised campaign for the purposes of international criminal law against those elements of the civilian population that were seen as or thought to be hostile to the government in power. Some of the
1: violations that this year's reports detail seem to be a continuation of that policy. The Commission noted that although the level of political violence in the Great Lakes nation decreased immediately after the 2020 elections, which followed the death of former President Pierre Nkurunziza, the human rights situation remains dire. Katie Dartford, UN News. (laughs)
0: Thanks to Katie Dartford for the news, and now to Yemen, where the war between government forces in the south and Houthi-backed opposition in the north is entering its seventh year. At the Human Rights Council in Geneva, the forum's 47 member states have been hearing about what this means in practice for ordinary Yemenis. To tell us about this in more detail, I spoke to Dr. Adi Insays. He's one of three rights experts tasked by the council to deliver regular updates on the conflict. Here he is now.
2: The bottom line is that the group of experts believes that Yemen and the people of Yemen are being forgotten by the international community. We've entitled this year's report, A Nation Abandoned, A Call to Humanity to End Yemen's Suffering. The parties to the conflict have been unable or unwilling to arrive at an inclusive, sustainable peace. And what that means is that the international community needs to step in and garner up the political will to, to press the parties to do so. Without that, um, uh, we're afraid that this war is going to continue to ravage the people of Yemen in ways that, that may even be worse than, than we've seen up until now.
0: Let's remind ourselves what's been going on in the country years of airstrikes and shelling. And on that point, you say that the coalition, the Saudi-led coalition, is continuing to take a heavy toll on the civilian population, failing to abide by the principles of distinction, proportionality and precautions in attack to prevent civilians and civilian objects. So how are you going to push for change this time, this next year?
2: Yes, um, you're absolutely correct in your assessment there. I mean, we have not seen any, if you like, positive developments in respect of the impact of the war on, on the people of Yemen. And that includes disproportionate attacks, that includes violations of international humanitarian law, human rights law, as you mentioned, the bombardment of areas across Yemen, whether from air, even shelling all parties to the conflict in our assessment have and throughout the period of our mandates, including this most recent one, have committed violations of international humanitarian law and human rights law, some of which may amount to war crimes. You touched upon principles of proportionality, distinction, precautions in attack. These basic principles of international humanitarian law are being violated based on the information before us. And so you asked the question, well, what do we urge the international community to do? Well, in the first instance, we don't even begin with the international community one would expect that the parties to the conflict would cease and desist in their actions but it's clear that patterns of, of conduct are, are, are persisting. In the absence of any real substantial consequences being brought to bear on them, the international community must step in. And so we've made a number of recommendations last year on accountability measures, which we reiterate this year. They include the recommendation to the Security Council of the United Nations that they refer the situation in Yemen to the International Criminal Court that the security council expand number of individuals that, on its sanctions list under resolution 2140 that the international community consider the establishment of a triple im type mechanism a, a mechanism that would be mandated to put together a criminal files of evidence.
0: You're referring to um, the one on Syria, uh, which is yeah, underway yes. at the moment. It's a much more, as you say, it has a criminal focus, whereas your findings can't necessarily be used in a court of law.
2: But that's quite right. I mean, I, I wouldn't be so categorical to say that our findings wouldn't be able to use them in a court of law. What I can say is that based on the methodology that we use in the gathering of information and evidence and the collection preservation of that evidence, It's a lower threshold or a standard, not a criminal standard, but a civil standard. We do things on the basis of reasonable grounds to believe. And so, if one is going to compile a criminal law file, if you like, uh, compile evidence that, that one might be able to bring criminal law charges, whether domestically or internationally, there needs to be a bit more rigor involved in the process. The information that we do have can be used by criminal bodies in the future,
0: even today, in helping build their cases. Just remind me about who exactly is responsible. We've said the coalition has responsibility, so does the government of Yemen, the de facto authorities, the Houthi in the north, the Southern Transitional Council. So can you maybe give me some of the day-to-day detail about what people on the ground in Yemen are facing?
2: Yemenis are suffering from the impact of the war, for instance, with blockades of access to humanitarian aid and relief. Food prices, fuel prices have gone through the roof by virtue of the conflict. In the north, there has been a a large push, which is controlled by the Houthis out of Sana'a. There's been a large push and expansion of of fronts in Ma'rib and other places that have caused all manner of suffering. Numbers of IDPs, uh, internally displaced persons have increased migrants that are trying to use Yemen or have been trying to use Yemen as a sort of base from which to flee to other lands have been caught in the crossfire. Women and children, uh, according to some indices, uh, uh, I think by the World Bank, if my recollection serves, Yemen is one of the worst places, perhaps the second worst place to be a woman in the world. And the world has only exacerbated you know, the situation for women on on the ground. Child soldiers are a marked feature of the situation in Yemen. All parties to the conflict seem to be recruiting children and putting them to use in hostilities. So the point here is, is, you asked about who among the parties to the conflict are responsible for these types of violations. And in our assessment, all of them are. The Southern Transitional Council in the south, the government of Yemen, the Houthis, The UAE, the Saudis, and others. So it is a rather complex situation. The one unifying factor bringing all of these parties together is that as a result of their actions, the people and the ordinary civilians, men and women, children in Yemen are being ravaged. Uh, Sexual violence, for instance, is is, is, is a continuing major concern that we have. Food insecurity, you know, we've made it clear that. Given the knowledge of the parties that, you know, the people of Yemen are suffering from acute food insecurity and are on the brink of famine, we take the view that they are displaying through their actions a reckless disregard for the people of Yemen in this regard.
0: You really have your ear to the ground, although you don't necessarily have access to the country. Has the conflict evolved in any positive way whatsoever, or is it really unremittingly awful for those on the ground? Is there any glimmer of hope for them?
2: Look, there are blips, there have been blips of hope, if you like, uh, little pockets, moments. The Stockholm Agreement was one, the Riyadh Agreement was another. But as it stands today, politically, things have come to a stalemate between the parties, and the war continues and picks up pace. So while I would like to leave your listeners with a sense that there are possibilities that, you know, there's a, there's light at the end of the tunnel, As it stands, it is a rather dismal situation uh, today and it is our job to bring their story to the world, so I'm grateful on behalf of, of the group to have been given this opportunity.
0: Thanks to Dr. Adi Imseys for taking time to tell us about the plight of Yemen's people and the apparent lack of international will to stop the supply of arms to the country that's fueling this catastrophic war and the world's worst humanitarian crisis. Now it's time for some closing thoughts from our regular guest, Solange Bejategui-Cortez. Hi, Solange.
3: Hola, Daniel.
0: I know you've been particularly moved by the plight of Yemen's women and
3: girls. Sure, it's a, a, a terrible story. Simone de Beauvoir's famous phrase, one is not born a woman, one becomes one, has no meaning in places like Yemen, where women's bodies are used as a weapon of war doctor Ardi Imses said something that sounds so strong Yemen is one of the worst places in the world to be a woman. And yet reality is even more violent, not only rape but starvation are the weapons of choice. What happened? Where are the fantastic stories imagined centuries ago about Southern Arabia? In nineteen thirty four The French writer, André Malraux, went to Yemen looking for a woman over 3,000 years old. Malraux dreamed of finding the legendary and mysterious queen of Sheba. He failed, or not. Today, Yemen is inhabited by the new queens of Sheba. They really aren't legendary. They are flesh and blood. They walk barefoot, without a compass. The new queens of Sheba are refugees. They are fleeing war, hunger and violence. Or as Malraux would say, the three faces of dead. They do not come covered in gold. They do not smell of perfume or bring incense. They swallow pain. They are broken. Ardi Im says, told us that Yemen is a country abandoned to a cruel fate in which the belligerents are unable or unwilling to exercise the political will necessary to end the conflict. In the meantime, the work of rights experts like Dr. Imsens, who report to the Human Rights Council in Geneva, goes on. There can be no peace without justice and accountability, he said. If you close your eyes, you may see the new queens of Sheba begging in an abandoned country, they have not been forgotten.
0: No, they haven't. And this is a regular feature of our coverage. These conflicts, which, as we know, are terrible humanitarian crises and deserve the international spotlight, and indeed, they get it at the Human Rights Council and beyond. <laughs> That's all we have time for. My thanks to Katie Dartford for her help again this week. If you want more headlines and stories, please check out UN News. There are also some fantastic audio interviews and podcasts in addition to ours. Thank you, Solange, for being with us again remotely this week. Thank you, listeners, also for taking an interest in the United Nations. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye for now.
3: Gracias, Daniel. Ciao.